The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. So thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday morning. We've got a great show planned for you with a great guest. We're going to have Christina Adams here joining us in just a little while. And, oh, I'm such a big fan of hers. I just uh, love her. And she was such a flashlight in the dark for me when we were just getting started, just getting a diagnosis. So we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up. A couple of things I want to let you know. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other places. Eventually, Traven will show you, our fabulous Traven will show you all the different places where we're live and where you can download the podcast because the show is available to you in a lot of different ways. As I said, right now we're live on a bunch of places. We know that when we're live at 10 a.m. in the morning Pacific time, that isn't the right time for everybody, which is why we're a podcast. Once the show is done, it immediately podcasts to all the different places where you can get a, a podcast. It is a free download wherever you get your podcasts. I'm very proud of that. We worked very hard to try to be able to keep the show going and make it free for you. We're going to be talking to you in the coming days about how you can help to support us. But in the meantime, I will tell you that the real currency for us is when you like the show, when you follow us, if you um, you can follow us on Facebook, for heaven's sake, that's an easy thing to do, right? You just click the button and, and follow us and like us and review us. If you know somebody that would benefit from the information here, a simple thing to do is just put their name in the chat because then that sends them a notification and then they're able to see the feed and you don't have to send them a link and all of that stuff. Uh, so that's one thing that you can do. We love it when you follow us on YouTube. When you do that, it means that you get a weekly notification of something that we're doing here. And if it's a big thing like Temple Grandin, that could be a really helpful thing. Uh, you can also sign up to be a part of our free newsletter. We do a monthly newsletter now. And in the last two months, we gave you coupons for toys that were in the toy guide. So um, please feel free. We don't we don't believe in inundating your box because I can't handle that. I don't have the time to do that to you, and we're a very small staff here. So uh, we encourage you to check us out, share us, like us, oh, and reviewing us on iTunes. That's another great thing that you can do to spread the word of the information that we have here. Yeah, I don't know if you know that for Autism Live and now the entire Autism Network, our mission always remains the same as it was on day one, to spread information and inspiration. That's really what we're about. We wanna, and, and that's for the whole autism community, which of course starts with individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum, of course, of course, right? But it also includes all the individuals who love them and want to be allies and want to be supportive because we're about that too. I identify very proudly as a pony. I am a proud parent of a neurodiverse individual. Those are the words that he likes. I, you know, I used to say all kinds of things. I used to say, I'm an autism mom, right? And then people came forward and said, you know, that sounds like you are on the spectrum. Perhaps you should change what you're saying. And I was like, oh, didn't mean to be misappropriating something. Um, and, and my son had different words across his life that he used to describe himself and to identify. 
Um, mostly he likes to be identified as himself, but he has said to me, yes, you can identify as a parent of a neurodiverse individual, that that's, he's like, I proudly wear that. I'm an, not that he wouldn't proudly wear anything else, but it's how you identify. So um, anyway, if you are a parent or a loved one, a sister, a brother, a boyfriend or girlfriend, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, and you are supporting somebody who's on the autism spectrum, we welcome you here as well. Because uh, I, we try, we've tried to vary our programming so that it can be for everyone. I do want to say that on Friday we are debuting our newest edition of Stories from the Spectrum, which is only the voices of those who are on the spectrum. Love that show, and I love that we have a new episode finally on Friday. It's all in the can. It's ready. It's loaded. It's ready to go. So there, you know, we thought we were going to have it last week, and uh, anyway. Uh, we have it this week, so I'm really, really excited about that. And don't forget, tomorrow we have Moira Giamatteo on for Let's Talk Movies. Boy, it's it's heating up uh, in terms of movies uh, and what's going to get awards and what isn't going to get awards, and we've got things to talk about. There are, there are so many movies that we've watched, we can't review them all tomorrow, so we have two more shows, three counting uh, tomorrow, before the Oscars. We're going to get to all of them, but uh, if there's something you de desperately want to know what our opinion is, write in and tell us ASAP. All right. I do want to say, too, that the chat is open. I don't have the iPad because I don't think I gave it back to you, Traven. Um, so I'm not able to see the chat right now. Uh, but I'm saying hello to whoever is there and watching. Uh, okay. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Because uh, it, it's Wednesday. It's time for jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Is this something useful? Uh, is this something that will save us time and money? That's always the litmus test for me because I like to learn. I, I want to be a lifelong student. But, you know, if you or your child is having something where you need an intervention, then your, the amount of hours that you have to just learn whatever kind of diminishes, right? So uh, the reason why we do these jargon terms is because sometimes somebody will say this term when, in a meeting that you're having and you're like, I don't know what that is. And if you're like me, sometimes I'll stop the meeting and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then they will tell you and you can't understand what they told you, right? So sometimes I will write it down. I let, I'm an old Cornell note taker. I will write it down on my little notepad and put a circle around it or underline it like thing to look up later on. And then you go and look it up online or in a dictionary or whatever and you're like, I don't understand that definition or it's not there, right? Now you can Google stuff and I do believe in the University of Google, right? But sometimes you don't even understand the, the definition. So we like to just head that off at the pass. So what we do here is we pick a term or a, a a phrase or or an acronym, something that we hear coming up in, in questions and in meetings. And we give you first the actual definition, if you were to look it up and find it, what it would say, and then I make fun of it, because uh, that's my job. And then we give you a different definition that if you are not someone who has gone to school for psychology or autism, that hopefully you will be able to understand and I try to give you examples. Now, here's the asterisk. Sometimes you still won't get it. That is not your fault. The student is never wrong. 
Um, but it does mean that maybe there are so many other things that you don't yet understand that you don't, it's going to be hard to explain a context. And so I want to, you to be gentle with yourself and know that it may not be time for you to know this term, and then you'll get it later on, and then all of a sudden you'll go, oh, I get it. I get it because I saw this other thing, and that made me understand. So go easy on yourself. Today's is a pretty important one, though, for you to understand as soon as possible, so let's dive in. The term is antecedent intervention. Wasn't it your dream in life to take terms like this and just throw them around and be like, oh, well, you know, we're doing an antecedent intervention. Wasn't that what you wanted when you became a parent? No, no one said no one ever, unless you are already a board certified behavior analyst, in which case, yes, then you wanted to. But they're, they're a very special breed of people and, you know, God love them. I love them, but no. That's not the rest of us. They say things like perseveration in sentences, which, you know, no one else does. Okay, so let's dive in here. Let's take a look at what our actual definition for antecedent intervention is. It's an intervention. Hey, how about that? That's a shocker. Aimed at changing behavior that manipulates antecedent. Woo, we have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. We have just changed. <laughs> it's, a, it's an intervention that involves an antecedent. Uh, manipulates antecedent events such as instructions, prompts, or environmental conditions. Okay, what? What in the heck does that mean? I, unless you already know what an antecedent intervention is, there's no way you would know what that is after reading that. So we're going to take that, file it in the circular trash can, and let's move on to our working definition where we try to make sense of it. Okay, so antecedent intervention means changing what happens before the behavior in an effort to change the need for the behavior. Ooh, okay, that's still a little uh, shaky there, right? So let's talk about this. We've talked on the show before about how anytime that there is a behavior, there's like a chain of events that happen. And we talk about the ABCs of the behavior. The A is the antecedent. And, and that is just a fancy $10 word for what happened before. Because something happened and then the behavior happened. So A is the antecedent, B is the behavior, and C is the consequence, right? So something happens, that's the A, behavior happens, and now there's a consequence as a result of the behavior. And it's not all bad, right? This is all good, in fact. That uh, the example that I always give is that we, and we all do this. It doesn't matter if you're on the autism spectrum or you're not. And by the way, plants do this and animals do this too. There's an A, there's a B, and there's a C because it's behavior. Anything that engages in behavior follows this ABC. So for humans, think about the fact that every day there comes a point in your day at some point where you turn on a light switch, right? Um, unless you live in, a, in one of those uh, crazy smart homes where if you walk in the room, the lights automatically come on. Otherwise, but even then there's an A, a B, and a C because you walked in the room, that's the antecedent. B is that that triggered whatever the thing was, so the light came on, and C, the consequence, you don't trip over the footstool. Okay, but normally you and I walk into a room in our non-smart homes and we turn on the light. Why? What was the antecedent that made us turn on the light? Well, we couldn't see. Or maybe it got dark out. Maybe it was the afternoon and we were sitting there and we were reading and at a certain point we're getting eye strain. That's the antecedent. And so we engage in a behavior that we've been doing for years, which is we turn on the light and see the consequence is that now we can see. Light floods the room and we can see. 
Think about a plant, though. A plant is, is growing, right? But the antecedent is that the, the sun is most, you know, you move the plant and the sun is over here. And, and so the, what does the plant do? The behavior is it leans towards the sun. And the consequence is you get a plant that's leaning this way. And that if you want your plant to go straight, you're going to turn your pot if the sun is only coming from one direction. Ah, right? Um, so the point of this is that we always think that the behavior, the behavior, the behavior. Because the behavior is something that's either making your life wonderful or it's making your life more challenging. And that is why we call certain behaviors challenging behavior, because it's making your life more challenging. And so a lot of times we think, well, we need to nip that behavior, or we need to do this with the behavior. It's all poo. All of that thinking, that's the technical term, I know, is just all poo. We don't have control over anybody's behavior but our own. And, and that's shaky at best, right? Uh, in control of our own behavior. But, you know, I can't stop if, if I'm driving my car and somebody is walking in front of me um, and I need to go, I can't stop them from walking in front of me. I really can't. I have no control over it. In a way, it's the serenity prayer, right? I have no control over that. But what I do have control over a lot of the times is antecedent and consequence. So now I'm going to start to talk about kids on the autism spectrum. So pick a behavior that a kid is doing um, that, uh, you know, maybe they're tantruming. And they're tantruming because they want to watch more TV, right? So I really, if you think about it, I can't stop the child from tantruming over the TV. Once the tantrum is happening, I mean, what, what your recourse is, is, is very minimal. Like, what are you going to do? Tape them up to a wall and be like, no, stop tantruming? You can send them to the room, but does that really stop the tantruming? People give timeouts. It doesn't really stop the tantruming, right? You don't have control of the behavior. So if we can just all get our minds around, oh, the trying to take control of the behavior is a waste of my time. What do I have control over? I might have control over antecedent. I might have control over consequence. So if you know that your child is going to tantrum when you go to turn off the TV, then if you start to think, what could I do before that that would make it so that they don't need to tantrum? Then we're talking antecedent intervention. So it could be that, you know, one strategy is that before you turn off the TV, you offer them something that is a bigger reward than the TV. That's one way, right? That is one way that you say, hey, would you like to go to Disneyland? Let's turn off the TV and go to Disneyland. A lot of kids would be like, yeah, let's turn off the TV, and they're not going to throw a tantrum. Now, that is one antecedent intervention. It's not practical, right? Because you're not going to go to Disneyland every time you want to turn off the TV. But it's, it is, in fact, how an antecedent intervention works. So... There are, but you could offer something that's less than Disneyland, but that's more than the TV, um, which are all kinds of things for all kinds of kids. Like if their favorite thing is to read the dinosaur books, um, then we could say we could we could do a couple of antecedent interventions. We could say, hey, in five minutes, um, shall we turn off the TV and and go read the dinosaur book? And now we're giving them a countdown so that it's not this abrupt thing. Or when the show is over, so we're mindful of the fact that they're watching something that has a beginning, a middle, and end. 
right? Because we forget that kids, you know, Teletubbies has a beginning, a middle, and end. And just like we don't want to stop our television program in the middle of it, maybe your kiddo doesn't, right? So we acknowledge that. And this is part of the antecedent. Hey, your show's going to be over in five minutes. And when it's over, we're going to turn that off. And then we're going to go do this. So they've got something to look forward to. And you might find that the fussing and the tantruming over turning off the TV is different because you put an antecedent intervention in. There are all kinds of antecedent interventions. They have all kinds of names. We've covered some of them here on the show. Sometimes it means reinforcing a different behavior. Sometimes it means giving something forward to look forward to. All kinds of things. But when you try to head the behavior off before it happens, and literally you're trying to make it so that a lot of times the behavior that we're seeing that's challenging is somebody trying to communicate, I'm not happy with how this is going. Think about it, that's a tantrum, right? So instead of having them have to communicate by throwing a fit, you can take care of their needs beforehand. Uh, you can give them all the information so that they know what's going on and know that they're going to get to watch the TV another time. How about if we turn the TV off for five minutes and we're going to go walk you know, to your favorite park to go play on the teeter-totter. And then when you come back this afternoon, you can watch TV. Now I don't need to tantrum because I know I'm going to get to go do something fun and I know that I'm going to get to do the TV thing later on. Antecedent intervention. Can we have the angels sing? Because it can be something that is kind, which is one of the things that we always talk about here. It's fair, right? And it, it, what all we're trying to do, we're not trying to, it, I know some people are going to be like, oh, it's bribery. It's not. Uh, no. Uh, if you think about yourself and how, what kinds of things do you do to get yourself set up for the next day? Like I know people who lay out their whole outfit because it's so stressful in the morning and they're, they feel like uh, this when they go to work. So laying out their whole outfit the night before when, it's, when there's time and they can adjust and go, I think I'd rather put this belt with it, right? So not me. But I know people who do this, right? That's an antecedent modification, an, an, an intervention so that they are not stressed in the morning. It's how they're setting themselves up for success. So they're not bribing themselves, right? They're just saying, I need this to, you know, so, and if I don't have this, I'm more likely to have this stress that I don't really want. So my intervention is that I'm going to pack my lunch the night before, um, that I'm going to have my alarm play this music when it goes off in the morning because that makes me happy as opposed to having it go off to eh, 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 or the news. Some of us need the eh, 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 right? <laughs> or we can't wake up. But it's individual and it's setting yourself up for success. So when we're looking at behaviors that are causing challenges for the person or the environment around them, if we say, what is causing that? What is the need for the individual? And is there a way that we can set them up for success so when that moment comes that maybe they won't need the behavior that's causing the challenges? I hope that makes sense. I love a good antecedent intervention. Ooh, um, because it... It feels so uh, success-making. I don't even know that that's a word. It feels like it's kind. It feels like it's fair. And it feels like it's a very giving thing. Like I'm giving you an opportunity to have your day be a, a success and, and helping you so that you don't have to be upset, that you don't have to work so hard to communicate your needs that you have to throw yourself on the floor and scream and yell and kick.
that feels awesome to me. So I love a good antecedent intervention. And, and, and if you can start thinking of behavior in that way and think, okay, I know that my child has a tantrum whenever it's time to get ready to go out the door to go to school. And if you just shift your mindset and go, what could I do in the morning to set that child up for success so that they were happy to go out the door? Not just okay without go, with going out the door, but happy. Like, is there a toy that needs to be attached to the backpack? Is there an activity that needs to happen in the car? Is there something that we need to prepare beforehand? Do we need to get to bed earlier so that we're not so tired? All of that's antecedent intervention, setting up for success. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, uh, let's, uh, it's, it's about time to bring in our guest. Um, so I think we should probably just do that. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, we, we have with us the fabulous Christina Adams this morning, and I'm one of her biggest fans, if not her biggest fan. She is the author of two books, one, A Real Boy, and the other one, Camel Crazy. Now, A Real Boy is the book that changed everything for me. And I say this all the time, and I get weepy about it because I don't know where we would be without that book. So here's the story in a nutshell that I, uh, and I, and I tell a much longer version of this, um, but I was at a point where we were being offered ABA in the state of California. This was almost, it was 18 years ago. And um, we were being offered ABA because my son had already been diagnosed with autism, but we had a whole bunch of people who were telling us not to do ABA. Sound familiar? Anybody out there who can raise their hand and go like, oh yeah, no, no. I know what you mean, and I, because I didn't want to do anything that was going to harm my child or harm his self-esteem, like all of you, right? And I was hearing bad things about ABA, and but a lot of people in both camps were pressuring us, and we didn't really have another alternative to help him, and what I wanted more than anything else was to help him, but it all culminated in one night where I couldn't sleep. I was awake and sitting at the end of our bed. My husband was trying to sleep in the bed, and I was rocking and praying. And, and saying, please, God, help me to know what to do to help my child. And please, like, I wish I, one of the things I prayed for was a crystal ball and said, please send me a crystal ball so I can look into it and know, you know, what will be okay. Like, if we did ABA, I would like to see two years down the road and see that he's talking and that he's okay and that nobody has robbed him of his self-esteem and that nobody has turned him into just somebody who's parroting, like, you know, he's allowed to be himself. Can I please see into the future to see that? And... Um, and eventually realized, well, I'm not going to get that, but what if I could meet a kiddo who's two years further down the road? That would be like a crystal ball. And I didn't know how that was going to happen, but I went to bed and slept on it. And the next day was horrible, uh, absolutely horrible. Um, or I cried most of the day because we went to our early intervention, which was more of a floor time thing. Um, and we were kicked out of it because the other parents had said that my son's behavior, that he was biting and scratching and screaming and all these things that they couldn't it was impeding their children. Some of these children had dual diagnoses, like one little boy was Down syndrome and had autism. And his parent was like, my child can't learn while your child is in the room, uh, right? So I was just absolutely devastated and felt like the world was coming to an end. My beeper goes off because I was, you know, I, I have a master's degree and I was working as a closet designer because that was the only thing I could make work with my husband's schedule and with my son's beginning inter intervention. And my beeper goes off that I have to go to a house to do a closet. I, I go there. I instantly hate these people because they have a beautiful home. 
they clearly have a little boy because there's a pirate ship in the backyard. We were living in a condo. My son was never going to have a backyard and was never going to, you know, but he loved pirates. Um, long story short, and I know it's already too late for that. I was in these people's houses and the dad kept, the dad was one of those uber nice people and he kept asking me questions about, did I have kids? Where was my son while I was there? Like not your normal questions. And eventually I snapped at him and I said, you know what? Um, stop assuming because my life isn't like yours. You clearly lead a charmed life. You have a son and, you know, and he's doing all these things and he has a pirate ship in the backyard. My life isn't like that. My son has autism. And, and I was feeling all the pain of we're left out, you know? And that dad was Logan Shepard's dad. And he stood there with me and he said, oh my gosh, welcome to the club that you never thought you wanted to belong to, but once you get here, you're gonna see that it's filled with really amazing people. And in that moment, um, he told me where to go to get ABA. Um, he, uh, you know, he called his wife and said, bring our son home. Uh, there's a woman here who needs to meet our son. And they were telling me about their son and showing me videos of their son who had been nonverbal. And one of the first things that Crystal Shepard, Logan Shepard's mom, and if you haven't seen Logan Shepard, he's the professional drummer. Woo, right? Um, this, he was five at this time. And my son was, you know, two and a half. His mom took a book and said, you got to read this book. I'm, I'm giving this to you for you to read. And I looked at it and it said, a real boy. And I said, okay because I looked at their little boy and I was like, whatever you're doing, we want to do it. And I, I called my husband from the driveway and I was like, I know what we're going to do and I'm bringing home a book and whatever. And then for the next week, that's all I did was read a, read a real boy and cry and think someday I'm going to meet the woman who wrote this book. Someday I'm going to meet her and I'm going to thank her. And you know, now it's all these years later and I'm so proud to consider her a friend, but that book changed it all for me. It was her story of the early years of intervention with her son and what they did and how they did it. It totally changed the trajectory of my life. I would not be sitting here. I would not know Dr. Grampiche because I got introduced to her from that book. I would not, I would not be here. And my son would not be you know, away at, at college right now. Uh, and I'm away. He lives at home, but you know what I mean? He, that's where, where he's on his college campus today. Um, that would not have happened had it not been for that book and that woman. And I remember thinking, you know, by the time I read the book, the book was probably four or five years old at that point. And I remember thinking, I'd love to know what's happening now. Like what happened to her? What happened to her son? What happened to their lives now that, you know, they're done with therapy and whatever. But I got to meet her and I would say to her, you need to do another book. And so she has done another book, and it's called Camel Crazy. Thank you so much. I have the chat now, you guys. Uh, good morning, Ms. Hellraiser. So without further ado, i got to wait till Traven's back at his desk. Um, there she is. There is the fabulous Christina Adams, the, the woman who, like, shone. Is that the right word? She shined the light for me so that I could walk a path, our own path, um, but now, now the second book is out now, uh, Camel Crazy, which details what, what, where she went with her thought process after the first book. So, Christina, good morning. Good morning, Shannon, and all my international friends I can see in the chat. I'm so happy to be here today. 
I'm so happy that you're here because uh, you are an amazing, amazing force. Let's talk a little bit about you. You're a writer, a researcher, and globally known expert in autism and, and the field of autism and camels. Uh, I just said you're the author of Camel Crazy, A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels, which has won the very prestigious Nautilus Book Award. You are also, as I said, the, the author of A Real Boy, A True Story of Autism, Early Intervention, and Recovery. You also have an MFA, because I just mentioned that I do. Your work has appeared in many publications, including the Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, NPR, Open Democracy, and Global Advances in Health and Medicine. You've been featured uh, on many US, Indian, Middle Eastern, and European television shows and media, the US Public Library of Science DNA blog, and you have won international awards for your work. And anybody who wants to check out all the things, you can go to her website, ChristinaAdamsAuthor.com. There we are. So now we've officially welcomed you. You're pretty awesome. That's really, really nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for reading a part of my bio. And, you know, I just loved your introduction this morning. Mm. And having been to uh, the wonderful event that uh, CARD held on October 31st, I got to see Logan Shepard with my own eyes. And it was a very moving moment for me. So I do, it does, it's one of those moments talking to you that does make me realize, okay, I've, I've tried to do a little something here. And uh, when we all start out and we all are extremely concerned and extremely much in the suffering mode and in the fear mode. Um, and it's nice to know that there's life after that. It can be very beautiful. I, and, and that's all. We loved seeing you. I have to do one correction, though, because the event that you came to was an Autism Care Today event. Uh, that's right. Which is, which is different than the other. But uh, a wonderful, wonderful charity, Autism Care Today. And it was so lovely that you and your wonderful husband came to that and but Logan was being honored there, and he's. If you guys haven't checked out Logan Shepard, you need to check him out. But so my story is always interwoven with you and the Shepherds, and um, I, I wouldn't be here, would not be here. And I and it felt like the answer to a prayer. Uh, I think I, I don't think it felt like it was the answer to a prayer because I was like I don't know what to do, which I think a lot of parents experience. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things I, things I always say is um, reaching out can make things happen that you never dreamed existed in the universe. Yeah. So, you know, whether you call it manifesting or prayer or any, anything you call it, when we need help from the community, then we don't know what maybe that community is going to look like. But the fact is, if you open up and you... Uh, keep your eyes open for people that may be unexpected, may not look like you think they're going to help you such as you experienced. Um, yeah. And then you just never know how many amazing people are out there. Some are going to be cruel in our world of autism. And those might be the people in our daily lives. You know, sometimes they can't help it. They don't know, or they say things that are hurtful or you can't get help from the gatekeepers, but you can find help from sources you never expected, such as myself. You know, I have, I found help from uh, people in another country I'd never even met. And um, they helped me get the camel milk for my son, which was kind of part two of this, this uh, you yeah. know, book um, sequel and original that I have now. And um, there's just been amazing people. So I'm, I'm happy to just be part of the ongoing circle of support for people. I want to know when we're going to talk about somebody make a, making a movie 
of you and your life and what you have done because it need like I, I seriously think you should be having meetings with like Jessica Chastain and Margot Robbie because or uh, any of the women who have uh, movie deals because one of them I could see Nicole Kidman playing you she's I, well I don't you know you're younger but uh, but I, like all these actresses who would love to play your story and there are some scenes that I can see play out in films so just to put that on your radar somebody needs to play you in a movie about what you have done well I, I love it thank you for that I'm only an hour's drive from uh, uh, from Hollywood so uh, as you say from your lips to anyone's ear um, but I will give the part of the appeal for such a project where anyone be to be interested there are some really amazing people out here that visually would just be incredible in a film. The uh, beautiful nomadic peoples that have been mm -hmm. part of our story, uh, you know, the beautiful uh, camels and the animals. And I mean, I really do think it could be cinematic, but I never really said that to you, but yes, it could. Um, so anyway, also I understand a little bit about structure and plot. So, hey, let's let's shake it up. Let's do it. All right, now we, we had a plan of how we were gonna talk about things, but we're already like talking about the camels and everything. Look at how gorgeous you are with those camels. Uh, I, 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 we've been, how long have we been talking about that we were gonna do a camel play date? I really wanna go and meet some camels with you. I love me some camels. I think it's cute that they spit. I'm all about them. I've never been this close to a camel before. I am, I have I like envy that you, but if you look at how gorgeous you look in that picture with that, with those camels, like essentially giving you a hug. So hey, let, camels make yeah. everybody look good. That's the truth. <laughs> I want that in writing. And then I want to go with a photographer and, and take pictures with camels with you. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to have this lovely picture of you with the camels and then I'm going to get pooped on by a camel, but it's all good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Because camel poop is different than other animals' poop. And I know this from having read your book because it plays a, a, an integral role in what happens with camel milk. So let's backtrack a little bit. And then we'll, because we have research that we want to talk with, with you, but let's talk about camels for a second. Because if they read a real boy, they'll hear about how you went through a pretty intensive ABA intervention and how helpful that was to your son and to your family. But after you were done with therapy, like a lot of people, you were like, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what was it that sent you looking for camel milk to begin with? Yeah, because at this time, no one would dream that um, a large animal with humps on its back could have anything to do with the medical condition of autism. Um, so I just happened to be at a children's book fair in Orange County. And uh, yeah, my first book, A Real Boy, had come out and and all that and um but and my son was doing well but he still uh, had some issues you know a lot of these uh, children have ongoing or residual issues so i saw a guy with a camel i was nosy i was bored and uh, i was um you know newly a single mom then so i was like oh gosh i'm, I'm here doing all the all the stuff by myself so you know i might as well just start uh, getting out in the world and you know, while my son was busy. And so I just went over and stuck my nose in the business of a guy that had a camel and he was selling soap and lotion from camel milk. And then I said, what else did they do with the milk? And he said, they gave it to infants um, in the Middle East uh, that are premature because it might be close to human milk. And uh, that kind of gave me an idea that it might be, um, you know, suitable for my son. Uh, he also said it was thought to be non-allergenic. So I thought not only could it boost his immune system if it's close to human milk, if it's non-allergenic, it might solve my problem of having a really good milk to give my child that didn't misfire his immune system. Because, you know, as I discuss in a real boy, 
removing cow milk is one of the number one interventions you can do for autism. And it was incredibly effective for my son. Within three weeks, he got his speech back and uh, his cheeks got better, you know, which are, were very red. And, and sometimes we see these manifestations of this immune dysfunction in our children with autism in their skin and other things. So when I had that idea about the camel milk, you know, I went home, I looked on the computer, there was nothing about except weird articles about wound healing in Russia in 1972. And so uh, I had to reach out to a lot of people. I finally flew it in from Bedouins of the desert and Palestine area. And my son got incredibly better overnight. Uh, unbelievable. And so for people who hear this and go, okay, I'm interested. Uh, it's a much different arena for them than it was the first time we talked with you about camel milk. Cause as you discuss, and, the, and this is why I think it's so cinematic, what you had to go through to get camel milk into the United States so that you could give it to your son is, should have like a movie of the week about um, because it's, it's like intrigue and all kinds of, you know, crazy things that happen as a result. Um, so really want to encourage people to read the book because it's, it's a great read. But um, it also includes information, there it is, um, it includes information about what you discovered with the camel milk, how, um, you know, how you gave it to your son, how you've seen it work for other people. And you now speak everywhere uh, about this. In fact, you just uh, came back from India um, in August. Talk to us a little bit about your India trips. Well, I would love to do that. Now, the funny thing is when you were saying earlier about you know defining these terms and struggling to learn this stuff, believe me, I 1,000% relate to that. So there was a time I would have thought, I don't want to get into all this weird science and weird terms and stuff like that. And now look at me, you know, it's ridiculous. You're so, the camel uh, milk expert. <laughs> can it happen? You just never know parents what we are capable of until we have to do it. So um, at any rate, I have written a science journal article and it did um, get cited, um, went back when I wrote it and it got a lot of attention, but then now it's still getting cited and it's getting even more attention. So that shows that the science is developing globally. And I hear from a lot of these scientists. So as far as my trip to India, I do speak um, a lot, either in person or online, into the, to the countries that know that camels are amazing because they have them. And they're known historically to provide healing um, powers as far as you know certain uh, conditions that you find in these countries. Um, they, the Bedouins have known this for you know thousands of years, so that is not a shock to them. But no one had had the idea about autism before, and so um, I was um, invited to speak uh, by Rajarishi Autonomous Government College in um, Alwar, and that's a beautiful place in Rajasthan. Rajasthan is one of the most cinematic parts of India, which is all cinematic. Rajasthan is the home of um, castles and forts and palaces and and just a beautiful desert and beautiful people. And uh, I'm always happy to go there. This was my third trip to India. And so uh, we, they had an amazing conference. Rajarishi is doing really a lot of good environmental work. So they invited me to come and give a nice um, lengthy speech, which was great as a keynote. That way I had like 45 minutes to tell everything that I know. And I talk about the value of the pastoralist people to the world because they have a lot of knowledge and they conserve a lot of uh, plants and genes in the animals that we can benefit from. I mean, for those who don't know, pharmaceutical medicines are drawn from the natural world. So, you know, people think, woo, woo, it's natural. Well, that's where we actually get our drugs from. So um, 
that was a great trip. And um, there were really renowned world scientists there that were experts in reptile sloth bears, the effect of pesticides on human health. And um, it was just an amazing um, kind of a summit. And so uh, since then, I've done two more virtual talks for them. But, you know, India is uh, got a, they have um, camels and it is the state animal of Rajasthan, but there are some laws that prevent it to be moved out of its state at the moment. And so that has kind of done some backfiring and caused um, the camel to not be um, doing well in Rajasthan. So I really hope that it doesn't go extinct as um, a lifestyle for these uh, traditional camel people, because now India has companies that are selling camel milk because 80% of the users from one company, which is called Advic Foods, for example, 80% of the users are parents of autistic kids. And then in that country, many of the children kind of get malnourished. And so they need uh, better nutrition to increase their height. And so the other, a lot of the other uh, consumers use it for height increase for the children. And then now um, Dr. Ilsa Kola Rolovson's uh, Camel Charisma in um, Rajasthan, they started during lockdown using um, the camel milk for tuberculosis patients. And I've mm. seen some before and after uh, experiences and pictures that are absolutely shocking how much it's helping. So camel milk is known to be an anti-inflammatory substance. It's really non-allergenic um, in, the, in the big picture for almost everyone. There's a few people that can't have it, but that's kind of unusual. And so it can help with things in autistic people, uh, not all, but quite a few, and you never know till you try. Things like sleep, uh, calmness, a decrease of aggression, able to tolerate more foods, and amazingly, uh, language expression, uh, language content, emotion, and motor skills. So it's kind of incredible, and I'm just really happy to see that um, um, everybody's learning about it. And then there is a picture, I don't know if we'll get it up, but uh, it was very touching to me, two things that happened, um, you know, well, three things. I did get honored uh, by the college and he gave me this gorgeous kind of celebratory hat, which um, I love to have with me. It's not that I'll ever wear it here, but it's beautiful. And then um, Dr. T.K. Gellot, he's one of the top camel surgeons in the world. Yeah, there's there's me in my celebratory, you know, honoring hat. I'm sure it has a proper name. And my uh, colleague there, uh, Dr. Raj Nawar, he is a nursing neurology professional. And um, so then uh, Dr. T.K. Gellot, um, he's a top camel surgeon. He came with some other doctors and veterinarians, and, and we discussed uh, veterinary care and autism and animals and all kinds of things. And um, had a great day. And then we, um, when I was closing out my trip and I was in New Delhi, I was very honored that uh, Dr. Narendra Bojack, he is with um, Dungar College up in Bikaner, which is at the border of Pakistan. But this is the National Research Center on Camel uh, Area, as they call it. So he drove hours across the country to bring me a beautiful award that they had made for me, which was gold embossed. There wow, it is. Look at that. On a plaque. And he drove hours and hours and hours with his wife. And then they were busy. They couldn't even stay, you know, to have anything to eat or drink. But that originally that that um, plaque would have been made on um, on camel leather. Uh, but now that's not happening. So they uh, they put that gold over a beautiful wood. And there's a like a family that does it for their heritage for like from hundreds of years or something. Wow. So um, it was a very special moment to me because I had always dreamed about Bikiner, heard about Bikiner. You know, it was hard to communicate. I couldn't really get anybody way back in the day, you know, and then I have made contacts there now. And then they saw they saw fit enough to give me such a precious, precious award. And I, I just it moved me greatly. Amazing. Amazing. 
And, uh, you know, I love when you speak, you're talking about the, the health benefits for autism. And this to me is kind of like a duh, right? Because the more research that comes back talks about how um, inflammation is playing a role in creating symptoms that are the more challenging aspects of autism for our kids, right? And that, and you talk about camel milk as being something that a doesn't ca doesn't cause inflammation, whereas it, it, the cow milk can cause inflammation, and it may in fact be reducing inflammation in people, which you know that makes total sense, right? But I, but I, so I love that you're talking about that, but I also love that you talk about the economic impact of camels and how they're a beautiful animal. They are, you know, it's important to whole um, sections of humanity that they're a way that they live their lives. And it's, you know, it's a very reasonable thing to, um, farm isn't the right word, right? But, you know, ha having livestock, you talk about camels and sheep and goat herders as a part of our economy and a part of our society, which I really appreciate because I don't think we think about that on a daily basis. So no wonder that everybody invites you to come and speak. Um, so, and remarkable that it's sort of interesting to me, Christina, that you're going to these countries that are already, they already are more familiar with camels than say we are here in the United States because it's considered a rarity here, right? Like it, how often do we drive down the road and maybe you see a livestock pen and, or people have goats or whatever, even buffalo seem to be more, uh, you know, you might run into a buffalo at some, on somebody's property than a camel. At least that's how it used to be. Is there, is that changing a little bit now? Cause I just talked to somebody recently who would talk to you and she was like, oh yeah, there's a camel farm here. And I was like, there is. Uh, so tell us, what's the status here? Well, it's so cute because that's one of the things that I I uh, figured out during this process. I mean, I'm a girl from Virginia and my family, you know, had coal mining heritage. And so we were about as far from camels as one can imagine. But um, we did have a farm for a while when I was a teenager. So I got up close to livestock and I said, I don't want to get up close to livestock anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not what a teenager wants to do. But um, basically it's kind of interesting that camels are actually everywhere. They're kind of in America, they're hidden away often because you have to have rural areas. You have to have land for them and water. And, but it's shocking how many are out there. Like almost all the States that I know of have camels. Some of them have pretty large farms. I mean, not large, like in the middle East where they have, you know, 5,000 on a farm or more, but um, our largest farm in America is in Missouri outside Springfield and the guy has close to 200 camels and um, you know, it's getting bigger all the time. And so the thing is we can't am import camels here because um, we have very strict laws on that. So we we just have our native stock, but the price has increased Wait, quite there a are bit. Native, we, there are native uh, American uh, camels or did they get transported at some point? We don't know. Did they ever, they, like, do we know the answer to that question? We do. Um, I mean, in a short uh, in a short way, we can say, you know, camels did originate in North America. The fossils have been found, you know, up um, by the Hollywood tar by the tar pits, you know, in La Brea, but um, those died out. But then um, this stock came from Australia, I believe, um, okay. uh, originally. But then camels had been brought over during the American uh, prior to the American Civil War for the army to use in settling the West. And so, believe it or not, they were here back then, um, but then the Civil War put an end to that, but th those camels seem to have died out. But um, 
you know, there's a concept that I would like to put out there so people understand. It's called One Health. And so you seem like something like autism, camels, what do they have to do with each other, livestock? They actually do. Because One Health says that we all share the planet. We're all impacted by the biological factors that are on this planet. And so we really all have One Health. And of course, of course you know, COVID-19 has shown us that we're all interconnected. And so we, there are zoonotic diseases and things like that that can come out, you know, um, things like that. So we, we all are connected in this One Health picture. And as far as the camel milk goes, it does help um, not only many people with autism, but also diabetes type 1 and 2, gut disorders, skin conditions, uh, some forms of rheumatoid arthritis. And the book has a user's guide in the back that tells you, like, how much should I take? How long do I take it? Where do I get it from? Now you can get it shipped to your door, like, one day or overnight. So the picture has changed tremendously, as you say. Wow, because that was going to be my next question. There was a minute when you could get it at certain grocery stores. Is that still true? Or because I've never seen it. People told me it was at Whole Foods. I never saw it at Whole Foods. I believe Bristol Farms has it and some grocery stores up in the LA area do. And then some grocery stores that um, are near areas that are like have larger ethnic populations, like if you see a Somali community, um, that you might find some around there, but yeah, um, now you can get powder also. So powder is super easy. I always have it on hand and, you know, that way you can travel with it if you want to for your autistic child, especially, you know how it is when you're like, what am I going to bring to grandma's house? You know, oh my gosh, am I going to fly with my potato milk, which is what I used to have to use. So now you can bring that powder with you. And then if you're like me, you're going to send some, uh, frozen milk to your mom's house. So you can have it while you're there, but, uh, <laughs> very easy now and there's chocolates that's another thing you know for me it was always like my child can hardly have any sweets he's going to flip out he's going to be yeast overgrowth and then you know his behavior is going to be like a drunken frat boy so um the camel milk chocolate actually is made with camel milk and there's places you can buy it here like oasis camel dairy and um that's a really fun place to visit shannon we should go there okay and you can buy it online so now you can give a non-allergenic from the milk standpoint treat to your child where is the, the Oasis Camel diet? What it's did you a, call it? It's, yeah, it's it's actually in Ramona, which is on San Diego County. So if you are on the uh, the five south in Oceanside, uh, you go um, east and you know, you're there. So it's about 90 minutes from my house. So I'm going to okay. kidnap you. You're going to come to my place. You're going to crash. And then I'm going to drive you the next day right out. Oasis. Well, I have to be in San Diego um, for a conference on President's Day. So, oh, okay. so I'll okay. be in the area maybe the day before, maybe on that Sunday, you and I can hit the Camel Oasis. It sounds let's, really uh, fun. Let's see if it's possible. And if it is, uh, whenever it is possible, we're going to have okay. a great show from there okay. because um, I brought a very well-known uh, person, um, uh, Yvonne Meffe. She is um, the founder of My Halal Kitchen. She's got like a million Facebook followers. Uh, we met on Twitter, so I took her there and we did a show. And boy, did people love that show. I love that. So. Okay. All right. We got to work this out. Um, okay. So we're running out of time because I am so long-winded. But we had also talked about um, that we wanted to talk about some research because uh, you had some pretty interesting research that you came across. Talk to us about what it is and why it piqued your interest. Okay. So I always try to keep up with the research and, um, you know, it's easy to master once you do it for a few hundred years, just kidding. But um, the more you read it, the more you're going to kind of pick up the terms and understand it. So some of the recent things that intrigued me are, um, first of all, there was a, a review, and that means where they take all the published articles, science articles, and they kind of pull out these salient points, you know. 
So there was a review and meta-analysis that links autism and toxic metals and highlights the impact of like the country that you're in. So developing countries, which, uh, you know, are some of the countries that are a little more economically challenged um, and those, uh, they have higher rates of um, mercury, lead, things like that, antimony, cadmium, but developed countries such as our own, we do too. So it's not like we can even escape from this. Uh, so it was very interesting that they can see that um, the autism was linked to the heavy metals. Um, but this ties into the fact that a new test for autism has just been announced. Um, it can diagnose autism in children with a single strand of hair. Again, this is just early stage, but there's a startup called Linus Bio came up with it. And in your hair, you get a history of what you've been exposed to. And um, this particular test seems that um, from every four to six hours, it's like you take a snapshot and then they, um, they apply a, a, an algorithm to it and it shows um, how many kids you can predict have autism. And they said it's 81% accurate, uh, but when they took a smaller group, it was like 96% accurate, but then it also said 75% negative. Now, again, that's just one indicator. And we know that autism is very complicated. And are you on the spectrum, off the spectrum is never as clear as just one thing. However, this could be an extremely good screening tool for people that want to know, okay, has my child been exposed to, to metals and everything like that? What can we do about it? And it's a diagnostic that might be easier to, to actually have evidence of because there's no biological test for autism, right? Yeah. So we know that, you know, so this could be an early one. So it, they still have to get approval, but it's out there. Um, then another thing related to that. So there's been a very interesting um, study that said genes are linked to immune expression in the brains of people with autism and conditions like schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, bipolar, and depression. Um, the autism genes had 275 that were different from controls, which is, you know, typical brains. And um, Alzheimer's had like way more even off than autism. Um, and then Parkinson's bipolar and depression had some too, but less than autism, I believe. And uh, inflammation, as we know, is a marker. Uh, if you get the right medical care, you can see it when you do blood work in your child. Like what have they been eating and what is their, you know, white blood cell count, et cetera. Um, however, uh, this, this is only evident in brain tissue, and these were taken from post-mortem tissue, so, you know, after people had died. Um, but it's a very important marker that shows that the brains are actually different, and the immune system functioning is really directly relevant to your neurological health in these disease states. So this is really proves, again, what we in this community have known, that treatments like diet, camel milk, medications, you know, things like that can help with such conditions like autism, perhaps others. So... Um, there's another one that I thought was interesting. Uh, as many of us in the community know, motor skills are different or impaired um, in people on the spectrum oftentimes. Um, and so people have always said, why don't we have this in the diagnostic criteria? Why isn't the DSM? Some people are for it, some people are against it, but I think they're just, uh, you know, dancing on the head of a pin, so to speak. You know, if you can get that as part of the diagnostic criteria, then we're going to get more intervention for it and more supports. Like when people age out and they're on Medi-Cal, you know, or Medicare, and you're getting that funding from the government, a lot of there are, you know, people on the spectrum, they're not good with their motor skills and they have executive functioning deficits. It's hard for them to keep house, hard for them to do things. So if we put that in the diagnosis, perhaps we'll get more support for the motor skill issues and more intervention earlier. And it seems like another duh, because in the last couple of years, we've had all these micro movement um, 
studies that show that that might be another way to diagnose is that from as early as eight months old that they can see these micro movements that are different than people whose brains don't later identify as being on the autism spectrum. So it seems like it should be part of the diagnostic criteria, Christina. There's a book, there's a book I always recommend. It's called, Does Your Baby Have Autism? It's actually fascinating. And they went and they took all these you know, videos and they analyzed them. Not only do they, were they able to predict which babies had autism pretty well, then they actually have some kind of a crawling track that they tell you how to, how to put up and how you can do intervention on your own to help the babies. Yes, because the thing that we've said from the beginning is if you can catch it as early as possible, then you can address things like the fact that if you knew that your child had way too much mercury in their system, you could address that medically. If you knew that your child wasn't on track to be able to crawl and you, and you taught them how to crawl, we know that that will end up being different with how their eyes will identify things and how they will do joint attention, which goes to social skills, in addition to a million other things. It's all so interconnected, but we know the earlier you catch it, the more effective your intervention has the potential to be. Um, mm -hmm. Because if you don't, if you don't, if, if the skill hasn't yet developed, but the thing that's preventing you from uh, developing the skills, if you take care of that part, then the skill can develop. Correct. And then also, let's say you live in a house and you don't think there's lead paint, but lead paint can cause dust that lasts forever and ever and ever. And I thought lead paint was like, you know, something back in the day, you know, in very low income areas, lead paint can be anywhere. And, you know, it goes on and on. But um, yeah. for those of us who have older children, I don't want you to think, oh, I didn't do this or I've missed the boat. So like, let's just say, for instance, camel milk. There are people that are 19 years old that, that have severe autism that are benefiting from it. There are typical people in their 40s who have a health condition and they benefit from it. So, you know, early intervention is the best, but it's always good to try what you can try. Okay, so before we leave this conversation, whenever we have you on, the number one question that people ask is, okay, well, they ask two questions. Where can I get the camel milk? And is all camel milk equal? And how much camel milk do we do? Because I think a lot of people go, oh, well, it's like milk. I'm going to pour it on the, the cereal. And, and you know, people drink cow's milk and they'll drink like a gallon of it in two days. Um, this is not what we would do with camel milk. Am I correct? Well, if you're a Bedouin in the desert and you've grown up that way, then absolutely. And you can live on it for four years and, and do fine. I actually met a Bedouin in Saudi who, um, whose grandmother did that. Four years camel milk alone. And she wow. was doing great as an old woman. She's had only just started to get sick. So, um, but basically the, the book does talk about all that. And I think it's like $8 on Amazon right now, or you can get it at any bookstore, but camel milk, it's all good milk. Um, you may want, you know, the, um, the raw milk, if you can get that. Um, so you may want the powder, if you can get that. I say, start with the, with the source that's closest to you and try it. But then the, the book has instructions on, you know, how much should I take and what, what could be the side effects. Any side effects are, you know, not an issue, but, you know, you might want to give a little tiny bit if you have a very sensitive child, you might want to give more if you have an older, larger child. So um, all that stuff is in the back of Camel Crazy. Okay. But um, the best camel milk you can get is the camel milk you can get the fastest. And if, you, if the powder doesn't work as well for you, then don't give up, get the liquid and then get the raw if you can in that state. So all these kind of things. But get the book, because I think the book will help to answer a lot of the questions that you guys have. It's called Camel Crazy. It's available on Amazon. 
Christina, I just adore you. And uh, I don't get to say it often enough. You really matter to me so much. There, I don't know how long ago it was. It was like months ago that I was, I was on the phone with someone and I had a pile of laundry in a laundry basket. And I was going down the stairs, tripped over one of my dogs, fell down the stairs with the laundry. And somehow as I fell down the stairs, left the phone call that I was on and butt dialed you. Oh, <laughs> do you remember this? For that now. Do you remember this? And so, and so I was like, oh, oh, ah. And, and, and then I, I went to go back to talking to the friend and, and I saw that it said Christina Adams. I said, Christina, I, I have no idea how my phone just dialed you, but I fell down the stairs and you were like, what? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm okay. But you know, I was on another line and I butt dialed you and you were like, all right, well, let's catch up another time. And I thought, how many people in the world would just be that like, oh, you know, you like you didn't bat an eyelash. You asked if I was okay. And you were like, no, go and we'll talk another time. And I was like, she's so remarkable. I kind of oh. want to, I want to grow up to be you, Christina. Um, but I miss you and I'd love to see you more often. And you know that. So I think likewise, you're don't the fall down anything. We need you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I fall down the stairs on a regular basis now because we're at that point in the program. Um, and I need to be a little bit more careful. I am being more careful on the stairs because of that. But I appreciate you. Uh, you're my fall down the stairs, butt dial. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I, I appreciate the influence you have had on our lives and on so many people's lives. And I hope I get to see you again soon. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. Thanks, everyone. I'm on social media. If you want to catch up, I'm yeah. on Twitter at Christina Think. I'm on uh, Instagram, Christina Adams Author. And um, Facebook, I have a public page, Christina Adams Author. You'll find me. So uh, let's chat. And the website is ChristinaAdamsAuthor.com, where you can find everything that you're looking for. So much, much love and hugs to you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. We're all the way out of time, you guys, but I do want to make sure that you remember, there it is, uh, Camel Crazy. Uh, great, great read. And, and read A Real Boy. I, man, it changed my life. Um, but I also want to remind you that tomorrow, it's that fun, fun show, Let's Talk Movies. Oh, I've seen some really good movies, and I've seen some woof, woof dogs. In fact, I don't even want to call them dogs. I love dogs. I hated some of the movies that I've seen recently. But uh, we're going to talk about some but not all of those tomorrow with Moira, Moira Giamatteo on Let's Talk Movies. And then don't forget that on Friday, it is a brand spanking new episode of Stories from the Spectrum. And, and there's you know at least a couple of things that I think are going to blow your doors off. So you're going to want to tune in on Friday for that. All right. We're going to say goodbye to you for now. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.